Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm a writer and entrepreneur, and through decades of writing articles for magazines and newspapers and authoring books, I've learned that we succeed through inspiration from storytelling and deep and mutually beneficial relationships. This show began in 2018 after my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and I wanted a way to capture his stories and record his insights. It's grown since then to share stories of how people around the world make meaning from very ordinary pursuits. Now I focus on sharing the stories of writers, authors, and those in the world of publishing to learn how and why we create stories that help us make meaning from the mundane. I'm a former journalist and marketing entrepreneur, and I've been teaching writing for more than two decades. As a writing coach, I help authors build their brands and share their words. I've had eight books published already, and I just finished my second novel, so stay tuned for news about when and where you can read it. If you'd like to write with me, check out my offerings at lynngaladner.com, and you'll find more episodes of this podcast at makemeaning.org, as well as on every podcast platform you can think of. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to the Make Meaning Podcast, where you'll find stories of courageous people daring to share their talent with the world. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. I have a great opportunity coming up in January 2023 called the Author Brand and Marketing Mastermind. This is a 12-week program for which I'm only going to accept 10 writers, and there are just a few spots left. It's a great opportunity to delve into your writer brand and also create a marketing plan that you feel confident to implement. Today, we all know that writers, no matter whether they're published with a big publishing house or self-publishing or somewhere in the middle, have to help out with the marketing of their works. If you want to sell books, if you want to get your writing published, if you really want to build a name for yourself as a writer, this is the course for you. I am now accepting applications for registration, and you can learn more at lynngaladner.com. Get your spot before it's sold out. Rosina Lippi may be better known as Sarah Donati, the pen name she uses for her beautiful literary historical fiction series of six novels set in upstate New York between the years of 1792 and 1825. She has also written two books on later generations of the same families under her own name. I fell in love with the Wilderness series of novels to the point that tears streamed down my face after I closed the sixth and final book, which includes an epilogue about what happens to all the beloved characters in time. That wave of emotion inspired me to search for the author online, and I was delighted to find websites and an email, and even more delighted when Rosina wrote me back. Today, it is my pleasure and honor to welcome Rosina Lippi to the Make Meaning podcast. She is a former academic and tenured university professor who taught at the University of Michigan while I was a student there, though our paths never crossed. Since 2000, she has devoted all her time to writing, drawn mostly to stories ground in history. Rosina lives on Puget Sound with her husband, daughter, Havanese pupper named Jimmy Dean, and a rambunctious cat called Bella. She grew up in Chicago, but can trace her roots to the very beginnings of America, and descends directly from men who fought in the French and Indian War and the American Revolution. Rosina was the first person in her family to earn a college degree, and she went on to attain a master's and a PhD as well. She has more than a million words in print with major publishers. Rosina, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Well, Rosina, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. 
I'm so excited to chat with you. And I, I'm going to admit up front that I am a huge fan of your writing, and I could not put down the books of the Wilderness series. I absolutely fell in love with the Bonner family and the gorgeous way you described the forests of upstate New York. Um, so I want to start there. Okay. I wonder if you would tell me how this series came to be mm -hmm. and what motivated you to turn out six gorgeous books about the journeys of generations of this clan. Right. Well, the, the second question is the easier one. Uh, uh, the mortgage is always what motivates me. <laughs> <laughs> um, writing is not easy. I, I do need to be motivated by, uh, by something. How it started was when I, when I was still teaching, I taught a course in uh, historical fiction. And I had this a game I used to play with the students where I would, I mean, the game, they were you know, college students, but I would say, okay, so take a really well-known classic novel, mm -hmm. and then I use Pride and Prejudice, okay. and um, and think of the main character, okay, now go to a uh, approximately similar time period, mm -hmm. another novel, mm -hmm. and take one of those characters and put them in the same room. Okay. As so, so I said, so what I did was I put Natty Bumpo from Last of the Mohicans. Uh -huh. That's the name in the original novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> with Elizabeth Bennett. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how are these two going to get along? Uh -huh. right? And that's kind of, it stuck in my head. And then eventually I was very motivated by the fact that the, all of the, the um, novels about European settlements, mm -hmm. the, the, the nice word, in the East were written by men with women as kind of props. Mm -hmm. And of course, Cooper could not write dialogue to save his life. Um, <laughs> you know, I defy thee, wretched Huron. Um, uh, so I thought, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to retell at least part of one of these stories with, with real women in it. And that's basically how it all got started. So it was the pioneers that I, mm -hmm that I started with. And I stuck Elizabeth Bennett in the middle of all that. Mm -hmm. And and that was that was how it got started. So now tell me where you were at this point in your career. Did you already have books out or was this like a, a first stop and you were uh, querying agents or like, tell me uh -huh. how it all began? Um, well, I was an assistant professor of linguistics at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. My alma mater. It, yeah. And yep. just completely busy. I had a toddler you know, to keep saying I needed to do something else. So I, I got up like an hour earlier than I needed to every day to write fiction. Okay. And um, the first novel I finished was Homestead, which I published under my name. Okay. Um, and that's the one that won the Penn Hemingway Award. Okay. And I was writing Homestead and Into the Wilderness. And um, my most famous academic publication, which is still in print, mm -hmm. um, at the same time. I was writing mm -hmm. three books at the same time. Oh my time. gosh, wow. Yeah, 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 I look back and I think, my therapist said at the time, you know, there is a different, there's more than one kind of depression. Uh -huh. Some people have to go to bed and, and just ignore the world and other people start running at full speed and <laughs> you're the second kind. Okay, <laughs> okay. So, yep. so that's, I guess, where my energy came from. But so then I finished, I fi and I finished all three. And then uh, Homestead sold first, okay, and then my agent 
got some interest going in uh, into the wilderness. She said Bantam's very interested, mm-hmm. and uh, but they're going to want you to use a pen name because they're worried about confounding reader expectation. With mm-hmm. for my first novel was so different from Into the Wilderness, so I said fine, and that's how it got started. Okay, cool, awesome. And so, did you know when you started writing Into the Wilderness? Did you envision a series, or was it the kind of thing that just sort of came at in time? Well, I was hoping for a series because being practical, you put a lot of research in, into yeah. these books. And, you know, if you're going to jump from period to period, to country to country, you have to start from scratch every time. Right. And so I thought I'd like to, and I'm not done with the characters, you know, okay. so I need, I need to carry on here. So I, I had a proposal for the second novel mm-hmm. and they bought both novels, Banton bought them as a, as a pair and uh even though it wasn't written yet and um and then you know people say is there going to be a third one is there going to be a third one and i'd say depends on how the second one sells you know um and that's basically how it went but yeah you know i never hit the bestseller list i think i think i'm would be termed a mid-list author but um, but they've sold consistently and really well over you know, 20 some years. So that's amazing. Uh, yeah, my agent says, actually, that's a much nicer uh, thing to present to a publisher than, yeah. you know, a couple of days on a bestseller list is it's not as interesting as 20 years of profit. So yeah, so yeah. I have a couple of questions about specifics sure. in your research for this series. So there, there were, you know, issues of race and indigeneity and um, really very forward thinking characters in terms of um, not seeing those differences, not um, will, being willing right. to adhere to them. And so, you know, tell me a little bit about um, how that came to you and how you how you made it so authentic. Like, did what kind of research did you have to do to really understand the relationships between communities and people and also the animosities? It wasn't hard uh, to find out about the animosity and the aggression because um, that's very well documented for the Eastern tribes. Uh-huh. Um it was easier. Let me just think about this. I, it's like, yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question before. Yeah. I think what I, I tried to do was I, I did, a, I had done and continued to do a lot of reading about colonial situations. Okay. And uh, the absolute worst and the ones that were less toxic. So okay. let's put it like that. And, um, and I was, looking for a situation in which I could put Elizabeth Bennett and she uh, would be open-minded enough to, to see what was going on. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I have, you know, she's an unusual character and um, you know, some people say, Oh, she's anachronistic. And I'm like, well, have you read Mary Wollstonecraft? Mm -hmm. There are, there were women who thought the way she thinks. I tried to establish a character that I could then nurture through uh, a lot of very different experiences as far as in indigenous communities, it, it's not hard to find current day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very blunt discussions about what colonialism has done to those communities mm-hmm. and how they've survived. And I really wanted to focus more on the, on the survival mm-hmm. than on the on the uh, decimation. Yeah, um, that's great. You know, how much courage and just grit it took to survive in those circumstances yeah um to survive in a in a community 
Yeah. And so then, but you also had several locales, like you have upstate New York, but you have Montreal, you have Scotland, you have New Orleans. So how, mm. how much of that did you do just in terms of, you know, first primary and secondary research, but also how much did you go to places and like oh. really immerse to get a sense of it? Yeah. Um, well, I upstate New York, I, I, my family, both sides of my family settled in upstate New York when they came from Europe. Mm. So I have long back history there. And mm -hmm. um, I had, in fact, I have ancestors in all 13 of the original colonies. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On my mother's side and my father's side, they came from Italy in the, you know, the 1870s and they okay. um, settled in the Hudson Valley. So okay. I was really familiar with New York State and upstate New York. So that was less work, except I had to kind of uh, study as a naturalist yeah. things I hadn't really thought about very much there. Yeah. Okay. And my husband is a very serious hiker and mountaineer, mm -hmm. and um, he kind of uh, directed my readings. Uh, you know, people are always very quick to tell you when you've made a mistake, and that's fine. I, I do not take offense, but I, I, I had an eagle building a nest out of the wrong material. Uh -huh. And, um, and oh, my favorite was the person who wrote to say, that I had the wrong kind of bells on the sleigh for that period. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, that, that just ruins the whole thing. I mean, come on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. But that, that I spent more time. I, 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 everything for Scotland was done long distance okay. in terms of, I, I have some friends who are Scots. Okay. I could talk to them about various things, especially about language stuff. And that, that always interests me because my PhD is in linguistics. Right. Um, I wanted to avoid the mistakes that usually show up in, um, in those books about, you know, people speaking Scots when they would have been speaking Gaelic and, you yeah. know, New Orleans was a very different case. New Orleans, I did go a couple of uh -huh. times to New Orleans and uh -huh. I really needed to do that because the atmosphere is so distinct. Oh yeah. And I was able to tour some, you know, old houses and uh -huh. um, I learned a huge amount from that. It, it was kind of eye-opening, really. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the details in Queen of Swords came directly from one of those visits, you mm. know, about the, and you probably don't remember, but there's a thing about a, a fan, a board that hangs from the ceiling. It's got, uh, it's perforated oh. and, uh, and somebody has to pull a cord to swing it back and forth. Oh. And it, it's like an early fan. Okay. And Interesting. so, uh, you know, I, I could, I fit that into a scene and of course there were slaves around to do that. And, yeah. um, so the idea was, you know, to make the slaves not to be props, but to have yeah. them be real people. And, yeah. um, I worked very hard at that and New Orleans was so people have the weird ideas about New Orleans at this time. Mm -hmm. There were really two very distinct communities, black and white. Mm -hmm. And uh, the black community was very structured and, uh, very strict in its own way. You know, all this stuff about men with, with mulatto women mm -hmm. having secondary households. Some of that did go on, but not mm -hmm. nearly as much as, mm -hmm. you know, the media would have you imagine or believe. And I really wanted to make sure that people got a sense of what it meant to be uh, a slave on a sugar farm or on a cotton farm. I'll tell you, this is the story of how I knew, I know that I succeeded in <laughs> I succeeded at least in part. My um, 
my husband always waits and listens to the audio. He doesn't, mm-hmm. he doesn't read the books. He was listening to the audio for Queen of Swords and he turned to me and he said, how much of this did you make up with the sugar trains? Uh-huh. And I said, that's all factual. Uh-huh. And he said, hmm. And then I knew he was going to do this. He went and fact checked me. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> And uh, he was, you know, he was shocked. I was like, well, it is shocking, you know, yeah. it is shocking what went on. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's really cool. You yeah. know, I, after I read it, um, we were actually in New Orleans for a wedding and I hadn't been there since I was like a teenager. Uh-huh. And so we, we did a little tour and we got to Congo Square and I'm like, wait, I know something about this because I read your <laughs> book. And it was like, it had a totally different feel to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was very cool. I definitely yeah. learned a lot. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned when we started the conversation yeah. that your publisher wanted you to use a pen name. And mm-hmm. so, of course, when I, you know, know, looked for you after I finished the sixth book and I um, found that it's very well known what your real name is. I was yeah. so tickled. Yeah. And I just wanted to hear about that story because I know like um, there are writers that use pen names and nobody knows who they are. So yeah. tell me well, a little bit about that thought process. I mean, how I came to that name or what? Um, well, yeah, but also why? How, like, I, why I, did your publisher want that? Yeah. Well, Homestead, uh, which came out first, is a very quiet set of 12 interlinked stories. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's about uh, a very small community in the in the Alps in Western Austria near Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's based on my own. I, I lived there for almost three years uh, mm-hmm. when I was doing the research for my dissertation. And I interviewed people constantly. That was my field methods was to get people to talk as unobtrusively as possible. And so that's what that uh, my research was based on. And then all those stories were in my head. And so I finally sat down and wrote, wrote the novel that's the Mm -hmm. interconnected stories. And then into the wilderness is like, it's hard to imagine something more different really. Um, And so they were just worried about, because it had just won the Penn Hemingway award, they were worried about, just confusing readers and ah. th- they use that expression confounding reader expectation okay um yeah <laughs> so they said no you, we'd like a pen name and then they told me we want it in the middle of the alphabet no z's no a's and i thought well screw you <laughs> if i have to do this i'm going to do it the way i want to do it and uh-huh. so i found i went through the italian genealogy stuff i have and i came i found what I was comfortable with and I used it and but I never made a secret of it and mm-hmm. um I I it, my, it was not my idea so it was mm-hmm. not like I set out to do it thinking uh, I have to keep this part of my life although you know some people would have done that because I was uh I was I didn't yet have tenure at the University of Michigan when all right. of this happened and you know they look for any excuse to, to boot you um oh in the tenure process. And I knew that if, you know, they found out I was writing novels, they say, oh yeah? So why didn't you write, you know, 10 more articles or whatever? But I had a lot of publications uh, academically, so I didn't have to, I didn't have to really worry about it. And um, yeah, so I, so I just, I was very open about, you know, the internet was just getting going at that point. Okay. And um, uh, when the, 
it was a couple of years later that I set up a first website and I was right there. I said, you know, <laughs> this is the Mimi and this is the Sarah me. And um, so that's just the way it's gone since. Um, so how has publishing changed during your career? Uh, <laughs> oh my God. It's hard to, hard to say how it hasn't changed. <laughs> when, when I started, I got a really great office from Bantam. You know, I got a really good two book deal really good. And uh-huh. what, eight years later, 2008, everything crashed mm-hmm. and they just stopped writing contracts for a good mm-hmm. while. Oh, wow. And um, so it didn't matter what you brought them in terms of your either a finished manuscript or a proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, you know, unless you were Stephen King or, you know, somebody on that level, they, mm-hmm. they just weren't buying anything for a while. Mm-hmm. Um That did get better, obviously, but um, the advances never regained the same level that they had been um, before around 2000 or or no, I guess it was 98. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and the other thing is that my, my favorite thing about publishing to say is, was that if you imagine, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a period in like the 70s and 80s where houseplants were a huge deal and everybody had like a million houseplants and uh-huh. it was, you know, all right. So, so people who remember that get this better, but uh-huh. uh, so say that the, the uh, you know, person A goes into a plant store, gorgeous, I want my whole house filled with gorgeous plants. I want that everybody will admire. Mm-hmm. And looks around and, and spends a ton of money and buys all these plants and goes home and then puts them in the closet and closes the door. <laughs> and then, um, you know, three weeks later, they open the door and the plants are all dead. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and the person says, I'm so disappointed in you. <laughs> and that's what publishing is like, right? <laughs> they they, they oh, buy, boy. they buy, I don't know how many novels a uh-huh. year. Mm-hmm. And put absolutely nothing into mm-hmm. promoting 95% of them. Mm-hmm. And 95% of them sink, yeah. you know, into nothingness. It's kind of like a um, a psychotic industry because, you know, they just, they cannot deal with reality. They have, they set this idea up for themselves and they just pursue it, even though it's clear that it doesn't work. Um and then okay, so that was the first thing, and then the and then that got worse after two thousand and eight. Oh, and then yeah, and then uh, self publishing came up, and that everything just changed completely at that point. Yeah, um, if you were already established with um, with publishing houses, you could carry on pretty much as you had been, which I did. People who wanted to get started as novelists. Um, often had the idea, at least in the still now sometimes, but in the beginning that they didn't need the they didn't need the publishers anymore, and they could just do this on their own and cut out the middleman. And yeah. and so I'm sure you've seen the figures on um, what that's done to the uh, you know the income for full time writers of fiction had dropped something like sixty yeah. percent over a period of time. So that is a big adjustment when you have that to deal with if I hadn't had a readership at that point I don't know I probably I wouldn't have lasted very long it's Um, interesting because you know when I when I started in journalism and I was at the University of Michigan I graduated in 93 and so I was a journalist for 15 years Mm -hmm. and self-publishing was not respectable like if you did it it was because you had no other choice and so 
Right. You know, that's what I was raised with and trained yeah. in. And I've had um, two poetry collections and six nonfiction books come out, um, oh. all with small presses over the years. I never even looked at them as money makers. They were like labors of right. love because it was it was they were just small, you know. And I was like yeah. thrilled to get them published. But I had other means of income. There was journalism. Yeah. Then I got into marketing, and yeah. I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. So, and I've taught you know college English for more than twenty years, but. Sure. Um, it's funny. I just finished a novel late last year and I just mm -hmm. got it back from the editor and I, I'm going to try to pitch an agent to give it that shot. But I also yeah. feel like, you know, if it takes too long or it doesn't go well, I yeah. can self-publish at this sure. point. Sure. Well, you're in a, a unique position. Most people yeah. aren't. No, you know? you're right. Yeah. But it's like, I still feel a little bit like, eh, like how could I self-publish? That's just... You know what I mean? It's not mm -hmm. it's not valid, but it really is. And it's, it's interesting because I know some younger writers who actually have done really well, um, agented, but also decided to put out something on their own while yeah. being represented in other works. And I'm and they're very to let them do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not. I mean, they're not. You know, New York Times bestsellers, yeah. but they're they're making good money as mm -hmm. novelists. And mm -hmm. then they feel that it's a really seamless back and forth between publishing houses and self-publishing. And that was just really eye-opening to me because, yeah. you know, I love, this. I love to see some case studies on that. Cause I, I have not run into that, but I, you know, I, with younger people, especially I can imagine that that will probably evolve in that direction. But I, um, for me coming up in the same kind of an atmosphere where self-publishing was frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah. Not, it, just not something you, you thought about or did or today still, my hackles go up when mm -hmm. and it happens all the time when people yeah. say oh you're a novelist oh have you published anything and i you know i i want to say to them oh what oh you're a surgeon have you ever operated on anybody <laughs> um right, you know right. and yeah. then and then they say you know oh you self-published and they say, why would you assume that right yeah why, why would you assume that no right. i'm not self-published yeah and um and i can get really snippy it, yeah, and if, if, when the questions are, they're disrespectful in a oh, way, yeah. you know, just yeah. assuming, assuming the lowest common denominator. Yeah, and um, you couldn't get this published, so you did it yourself. Now, some people choose to do it themselves, even though they have a very marketable thing. Well, that's really on, but that's now. That's now, and yeah. th then and that wasn't the case. Well, yeah. I think it's because from what I hear, since it's not yet my experience, mm -hmm. the publishers don't put as much into marketing and PR as they did. So a lot of it still falls no. on the writers. And so they're like, well, yeah. oh, well if yeah. I have to do this anyway, then why am I sharing well, my profits? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, no. They're, I mean, that's like, you know, putting the plants in the closet and closing yeah. the door. They, yeah. they, they invest a certain amount to start in a, in a, in an advance, but then in nothing else. Very, yeah. you know, they the song and dance that your agent goes through when mm -hmm. okay, they have an initial offer and now they have to work out the details. And that mm -hmm. includes things like promotions, uh, reading tours, all that kind of stuff, which mm -hmm. by the way have pretty much disappeared right. since 2008. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay because I hated doing this. <laughs> yeah. Um I mean, we are novelists, I think, especially 
are on the whole introverts. Oh yes. Um, oh, yes. And we we prefer to be isolated with our own stuff in our minds and our million people running around in our heads. Yeah. And and the, the more and more the publishers are saying, come out here and do this. And it's like, do you want me to sit here and write? Or do you want me to go out there and do marketing? Which right. you know I, I don't have any training for. I mean yeah. I can figure it out a lot of it, but um they, and they just don't see the disconnect. Yeah, it just it makes no sense to me. Um, I, it, have you seen the movie um, Stranger Than Fiction? No. Oh, you should see that movie. Okay. Okay, I will. That's a wonderful movie. It's about you know it's about a, a Emma Thompson is a world famous literary uh, novelist and her publisher is just anxious for her new book and her characters are in a parallel universe. Uh -huh. being affected by what she does so it's it's a it's really a a, a wild thing but the okay. reason i was mentioning it is in this in the story and then in the movie mm -hmm. um the publisher is so desperate to have her finish this literary novel that they send her a doula type person somebody <laughs> who yeah who will take care of her and and motivate her and get her to sit down at the table and i just i remember cracking up and thinking oh my god i mean i'm it could be that people who are as successful as Karen Slaughter or or Stephen King or whoever can afford to surround them with, with people that they hire to support yeah. them and things that they need to get done. But a publisher who sent you a uh, a nursemaid, it <laughs> yes. just you know, uh, just wouldn't happen. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. But it was it, it. They needed that in the story, and it worked really well. So I highly yeah. recommend that that oh. movie because it's just it's incredibly well done. I'll, um, I'll check it out and I'll add it to the show notes for this episode too. You know, it's funny when I um, I pivoted my marketing business a few years ago before the mm -hmm. pandemic to to get back to my writing and yeah. teaching writing, and so I um, you know for sort of bread and butter income, mm -hmm. I decided to sort of transition from working with the clients I'd been working with to working with writers to teach them how to market and to build oh. author brands because. Sure. It's so needed, regardless of which path they take. And this right. was experience I have. I've worked with clients for 15 years. I'm really good at marketing other people. I can't say I might be at marketing myself, but mm -hmm. I can definitely do it for others. Uh -huh. And so, you know, it's not rocket science. It's just a skill you have to learn and then yeah. exercise that muscle. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm offering a mastermind in early 2023 about, you know, building your author brand and learning the different marketing options, but then making choices because I think right. – I know for me, you may feel this way. I know a lot of writers who are like, I don't want to do Instagram or I'm not getting on TikTok. You know, yeah. it's just, it's it's not something I'm going to do. Yeah. But you can do other things. Like you can yeah. have speaking engagements. You can speak to book clubs. Right. Do you prefer any particular, or maybe you don't even need to anymore with, you know, your volume um, of work, but is there a path that you've enjoyed where you connect with readers or you get um, the books out there? Well, I uh, I have a pretty large online community of people mm -hmm. who have been stuck, who have stuck around since the beginning. You know, uh -huh. who have been communicating both in a in a open community and then by email uh -huh. for twenty some years. That's amazing. And, um, and it's nice. That's nice, but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't have uh, much of a, a a reach. Okay. I had I ran the uh, the web blog for I think ten or. 11 years every day multiple posts oh my gosh and that, and that was wow. very that was very successful okay and it, it made a big 
it had a it had a presence in the okay. industry. Okay. Uh, but then you know weblogs faded away. And anyway, I didn't I didn't you know ten years was enough of that. For yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> It also takes your writing energy. So like if you're yes. writing for that, are you writing yep. other things? It's like you can only do so much in a day. Right. Well, I, I cheated kind of in that I wrote a lot about the research I was doing uh, uh, and um, and about things that I discovered and resources. And, uh, and, and I also wrote about I was not teaching anymore by that point. And I really miss teaching. I was, uh-huh. I, you know, I'm a good teacher and, and uh-huh. um, I miss I miss teaching two courses most one was introduction to linguistics okay. and the other one was introduction to fiction uh-huh. and it's because in both cases students come in thinking they know what they need to know and in both cases they're usually completely mistaken okay. um uh, i did that in on the weblog i uh, provided a lot of basic information and uh, about you know pov and and i i did little not contests, but I had people would participate in writing paragraphs and so forth. So, uh, and I gave books away, you know, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. that people do. You have to imagine in the year, let's say 2012, uh-huh. how many people did that reach? Right. You know, right. Not a hell of a lot. Yeah. Um, and um, they told, I remember it was about that time where I said to my agent, you know, I, they just, this marketing thing, and she goes, well, you know, there are people who, who do this that, you know, but you're looking at 20, 30,000. 30, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I'm like, well, I, I, I can't do that. You know, right. I, I don't know who's got that money. <laughs> so well, what is the best feedback that you've received about your books? Like, is there a favorite um, letter comment or review or anything? Um, just, well, just yesterday <laughs> I got an, uh, um, an email from my agent. Uh-huh. And uh, it, she, um, you know, I, I finished a book earlier in the summer, and it's still in the editorial process. And okay. I haven't gotten notes from my editor yet. But so I, I was just communicating with my agent. I said, well, I'm getting a little nervous about not hearing. And um, she wrote back this incredible email about the book. And the last line was, I can't believe how lucky I am to be your agent. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it oh was God. amazing. Yeah. 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 Wow. And um, so that really, that's that was great. one. But, and the other, the other thing that is very validating is I've heard from many, many people who said things like I spent six weeks in chemotherapy and your books got me through, oh. or, you know, I lost my husband or whatever. And, uh, and I, or in the pe- pandemic, my book sales jumped in the pandemic. I think probably a, a lot of people book yeah. sales jumped in the pandemic yeah. because people were like, give me something to do. I got to have yeah. something to read. So that, so I hearing from people who have found for whom the books have been somehow trans, not transformative, but helpful in a yeah. transition, a transition stage has yeah. been, that's, I, I, that makes me feel like it's okay that I do this for a living. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have to be embarrassed that I sit here and stare at a screen all day. Um, <laughs> so and, I'm sure you've gotten negative feedback, and I wonder oh, how yeah. you've how you've weathered that. You know, uh-huh. like how do, how do you not curl up in a ball and just cry? I mean, how do you um, how do you handle it? Well, um, you got to be pretty thick-skinned in academia. So I came through academia. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're funny. You can just uh-huh. laugh at them. Yeah. Um, but I had an early 
Kirkus, I think it was Kirkus. Okay. Maybe the second or the third book. I can't remember that the, the, you know, those are like five line reviews. Yeah. And it was color by number cartoon caricatures. Oh. And I thought to myself, this person just was waiting for an opportunity to use that yeah. that phrase you know they had the phrase ready they were looking for a place to use it they thought oh let's do this yeah um and so i i could not i could step away from that i didn't have to yeah. take it seriously yeah um yeah. other other times the most extreme negative reviews i've had have been similar about a review that was really negative that i took very seriously that sounds terrible if i say it that way that i can't think of any <laughs> Um, you know, I hope to get all of the the big bugs ironed out before the thing hits the shelves. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, usually, I'm pretty good at at uh, hand. I can say yes, this is an issue I should have addressed, or mm-hmm. yes, I can see where. But you know, mostly the stuff I remember the the person who wrote to me after um, Dawn on the Distant Shore who said. Well, I liked your first two books, but I'm never reading anything you write again because there was no need to kill the dog. And okay, <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking myself, and I, I, I Rebecca said, "Well, I'm I'm sorry to lose you as a reader, mm-hmm. um, but let me just ask you: Did are are you sure the dog's dead? Mm-hmm. You know?" And mm-hmm. and and he wrote back and said, "It doesn't matter. You shot at the dog." Oh. And I thought, "Okay, okay. Bye. yeah, yeah. Good luck. nice but knowing more, you." Yeah, <laughs> I you know I never get mad at people who say who are angry at me because of something in one of the stories. Yeah. I think, okay. Well, you you know you yeah. pays your money and you take your choices. So yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd love to hear about your writing process. I'm curious if you write daily or if you plan out your books before you write them. Yeah. Well, it changes, but um, I mean, when I was first started writing fiction seriously. I had to fight for every, you know, minute I could dedicate to it. Mm-hmm. And I would get up at, you know, 5.30 and write until my daughter was up and the day started. And then I, I got tenure, so things were a little easier. Sure. And um, I could write a little more freely. And then I left the University of Michigan and moved to the to Washington State. Two years after that, I left academia. Okay. That's a, long, that's a very long story, so I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to bore you with it. But okay. when I left academia, it suddenly it's like being let out of prison. I had a really good academic career, so I'm not saying that it was I. I was suddenly free of all of the structure, mm-hmm. and um, that was not a good thing. You oh. know, that was because I suddenly, instead of having to fight for time to write, I had to figure out how I was going to to live my life and when I was going to write and when I wasn't going to write. And, Mm -hmm. and it was, uh, it was a pretty difficult transition. I still don't, I mean, it's 20 years now that I've been doing this full time and um, I still am not really comfortable with it. I, but you know, after 2008, I was in my Mm fifties, I guess, and getting a job was impossible. So it's not like I could go back to, uh, a structured, I mean, I think I might have written better if I had had like a <laughs> halftime job, uh-huh. uh, written more effectively and, and more quickly. So, okay. yeah. So, do, and do you plan your books out? Um, like, do you map them out beforehand or how do you do that? I generally have um, 
a sense of what's happening. I have a sense of where it starts and what the crisis points are and mm -hmm. basically where it's going to end. But I don't plan it out and I don't um, hold myself to any kind of a outline or mm -hmm. anything like that. I don't myself understand really how it works mm -hmm. in my head okay. um, to do it because the novel I just finished, um, you know, just the other day, I was kind of thinking, well, I should read it again, because, mm -hmm. you know, you spend three years writing it, and you just don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. And I, I realized how incredibly complex the mm -hmm. plotting is and how it all fit together. And I'm like, how did I do that? Mm -hmm. You know, That's I, cool. That's I have no idea how I pulled that off. But there it is. So um, can you tell us anything about it or when it's going to be out? The new novel? I don't know. I don't have they haven't given me a pub date yet. Okay. It's uh, yes, I can tell you that it's set in um, New Mexico territory uh, shortly before the Civil War. Mm. And, and when the country was in complete chaos because of slavery, abolition, mm -hmm. um, just tremendous upheaval mm -hmm. and um one of lily's children who mm -hmm. you haven't met mm -hmm. um even if you've read all six of the novels uh goes uh west to be a nurse midwife in the in new mexico territory oh and it's kind of a transition novel i don't know if you've read the gilded hour or Dawn i haven't okay, i have it, both but i haven't read them yet Okay, well, so the new novel is kind of a transition novel between okay. the first series and the second series. The first okay. series ends in 1824. Mm -hmm. The second series begins in 1884. Right. 83. Right. Yeah. So this is in 1857. And basically, it's just because um, people <laughs> are <laughs> always asking me, well, yeah. what happened to these families in the last 40 years? You know, we want to know. Uh -huh. Like, well, um, I'm going to write this novel. You might not like all of it, that's happened, but, <laughs> yep. um, but it'll give you at least a picture. So cool. um, yeah. So that's Can't wait. I mean. Yay. <laughs> so, you know, as we finish our conversation, I wonder what advice you might offer aspiring writers, considering today's publishing landscape and yeah. you know, sort of considering all of your experiences. Yeah, I would say that if you have a, a story in you that needs to come out to write it down, it's a compulsion. It, it, you know, people write not because they want to, people who really write, but because they have to. Sure. It, you know, they need to tell the story. They need to get it down. Yeah. And um, if that's the case, then do that. Mm -hmm. And But be aware that it might, might uh, never find a larger audience mm -hmm. and not because it doesn't deserve one, mm -hmm. but just because of the way the world is right now. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can have small expectations, like I never expected Homestead to join. It came out with a very small publisher, mm -hmm. you know, and when the pen Hemingway, I thought, huh? You know, I, <laughs> uh, I was just, I was shocked. Yeah. Um, it, but I, you know, I really, really thought that would be a very quiet novel that would just, you know, find a few readers and then go away. But it's still being read, Jimmy. That's great. Yeah. So um, so that would be my advice. That uh, And George Orwell, if you, if I think it gives you the best, uh, truest word about writing fiction. Have you ever read any of his stuff about writing fiction? No, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'll add it to my list. It's like it's like he says, um, 
nobody would do that. It's like it's some a terrible disease that you, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't yeah. do this if you could, if you could do anything else. Yep. So yeah. Wow. Basically. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great advice. It's just been such a delight to chat with you. Um, I love your writing. It's absolutely oh, beautiful and really, really spoke to my soul. And I just got lost in the books. And, well, I, um, I can't tell you how much that means to me. It means a great deal from someone who is so involved in the industry and storytelling and, um, and who's, who's writing fiction. I wish you best of luck with your, thank with you. your novel. Yeah, fingers crossed that I it lands somewhere and yeah. it'll be something you can buy one day. So yes, I'll, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Yeah. Yeah. Is awesome. it a historical? It's not historical. Um, so the one that I just finished is not. It's um oh. it's actually about a young woman who um becomes an Orthodox Jew and is uh is having a hard time leaving her past life behind and then it sort of catches up with her and she has to decide which one she's gonna choose. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, I spent 10 years in the Orthodox community myself, so I, I have had feet in both worlds and, and uh -huh. it was um, really fun to write. But yeah. it was interesting because, you know, I didn't plan it out. I um, I wrote like 50 pages 10 years ago and then I came uh -huh. back to it when I got back to writing and had to totally change everything around. Of course. And, well, you were um, a different person. Oh, yeah. 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 I mm -hmm. had perspective and mm -hmm. did research and took the time and, and I really love it now. And so we'll see if anybody else does. Yeah. Um, but you know, I spent a month um, this year in Scotland in the Highlands and I went on a writing sabbatical and um, I started writing a historical novel there and um, I got 20,000 words done wow. when I realized uh, I need more research. And so yeah. I sort of pivoted to the research mm -hmm. and um, I was in the Highlands, but the characters... Mm -hmm. Are, and I'm sort of I'm committed to to writing fiction that involves Jewish characters in some way. That's just uh -huh. you know, something that's interesting to me. And so I was finding uh, two historical individuals who actually lived uh -huh. in Scotland, and they were Jewish, and it was in the 19th century. And yeah. um, it's possible their paths crossed. I haven't yet found that, but in my book they do. Oh, and that's so, fun. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, but they were they were in Glasgow, and then they ended up in London. And so I was in the Highlands. So I thought, well, you yeah. know. I, I need to really understand those cities. Mm -hmm. And I was in both of them many, many years ago. So it's, yeah. I don't have, you know, tangible tactile memories. And so right. I feel like um, I might need a trip to yeah. the UK again. <laughs> I, I guess you might. <laughs> you know, um, walk the streets and, and learn the sounds. I have to ask you this. I'm yeah. sure you're familiar with a novel called The Physician by Noah. Yeah. You know that novel, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's, he's not a Jew, but he ends up um, going... I think, where is it? Persia that uh, it's, you know, to become uh -huh. a physician uh -huh. and, and he has to pose as a Jew, but he becomes enamored of the, of the religion. Uh, do you know that? You know that novel? I've heard of it. I have not read it. Oh, you should. Uh, okay. it's, it's incredibly well done. Okay. And um, at least I don't know that history and well enough to declare it completely accurate, but um I think you might find that very interesting. Actually, yeah. you know, one of my characters was the first Jewish um, doctor in Scotland. Oh. And so that's really kind of chilling that you would suggest it not knowing that. And so I yeah. definitely have to check it out. No question. Yeah, please do. Yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, I can't remember his name. Noah. Noah is his first name and the physician okay. is the name of the first book. So Okay. Well, All it's right. interesting because the character, yeah. is uh, his real name was Asher Asher. Oh, my, I love it. Yeah, my oldest son's name is Asher. 
And so it was his first and last name. And I, I just thought that was so cool that um, very cool. I wanted to learn more. And now now we're we're deep into the novel. So yeah. we'll see where it goes. So yeah, well, good luck with it. Thank you, Rosina. Yeah. It's such a delight to speak with you. And I hope we'll stay in touch. And I yes. can't wait to read your next book. Yeah. And I'm, I'll look forward to being yours. All right. Okay. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galadner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world. And please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more at makemeaning.org or lynngalodner.com.